Welcome to Rule of Law Talk, a podcast series of the World Justice Project, designed to bring you insights and learning from leading thinkers and doers working to advance the rule of law around the world. My name is Elizabeth Anderson. I'm the Executive Director of the World Justice Project, and I'll be your host for today's Rule of Law Talk. Our conversation today is held in honor of Law Day, celebrated by the U.S. legal profession every May 1st to highlight the important role of law in the United States. This year, the American Bar Association has embraced as its Law Day theme, advancing the rule of law now, reminding all of us that we share the responsibility of promoting the rule of law, defending liberty, and pursuing justice. In that spirit, the focus of today's Rule of Law Talk is an exciting new civics education effort, the Educating for American Democracy Initiative, spearheaded by iCivics and dozens of other organizations and institutions, including the American Bar Association. I'm delighted to have with me for this discussion, the Executive Director of iCivics, Louise Dubé, the President-elect of the American Bar Association, Reginald Turner, and an experienced high school civics educator from Nevada and current doctoral student in education at UNLV, Avril Kelly. Avril, in addition to his work on the civics front lines, has worked with both the ABA and iCivics to support their work. Welcome to all three of you, and let's dive in. Louise, if I may begin with you. Tell us what motivated you and your colleagues to develop the Educating for American Democracy initiative. What is the problem that you've set out to address with this project? Well, first of all, Betsy, thank you so much for this opportunity to talk about Educating for American Democracy. Uh, it's been a major effort. It has involved over 300 practitioners and scholars. Uh, it was recently released in March, and it really all flowed from this sense that our democracy is in peril right now, um, and that education has an enormous role to play. Uh, over uh, decades, uh, civics and history education have been underfunded, underprioritized, um, and we see the results now. We have obviously a country that's deeply polarized and has lost the muscle for this kind of constitutional democracy that was um, we have are so lucky to have. Um, we have uh, in this uh, report embraced these notions that we must have a process and build those muscles in young people to engage with each other and solve problems. So fundamentally educating for American democracy is a project and a roadmap for how to develop excellent and reach excellence in K-12 history and civic education by asking big, broad questions that will force us to build that muscle uh, to have and sustain our democracy uh, for decades to come. And it could not come at a more urgent time. My colleague, uh, I've, this project was um, a collaboration between iCivics, Harvard, Tufts, and the ASU School of Economic uh, Thought Leadership. 
Um, and all of those parties came together along with these 300 people. Um, and my colleague, Danielle Allen, who's one of the uh, principal investigators on this project, uh, tells the story of having met a colleague at Harvard who was a science teacher, a uh, science professor, and that science professor said, isn't it awesome? My kids are coming in and they're super prepared. They know so much science. And she looked at him blankly, just realizing that is exactly the opposite uh, in the humanities um, and that kids are coming in without knowing very much and just ill-prepared uh, for higher level work. And that is not the fault of educators. That is the fault of our system that has just not prioritized these disciplines. So that is what the roadmap aims to solve. Great. That's a, a wonderful introduction uh, to this project. And it sounds like it's it's focused um, really on preparing people for citizenry, um, not just uh, to pursue higher ed at Harvard, um, but to be citizens. And that's hard work and requires everyone to roll up their sleeves. And that seems like it's also very much the motivation behind the ABA's Law Day theme this year. And President-elect Turner, if I can turn to you and uh, ask you to uh, tell us what is the motivation behind uh, the ABA's uh, efforts in this area? Well, Elizabeth, uh, you are correct that um, we have very similar motives for uh, having our Law Day program uh, and celebrating the, the rule of law in our great nation. Uh, Law Day was envisioned in 1957 by American Bar Association President Charles Rhine as a national day to recognize the rule of law. Law Day was established by President Dwight Eisenhower the following year. Congress issued a joint resolution in 1961 designating May 1 as the official annual date for Law Day. Over the decades, many organizations and individuals throughout the nation and around the globe identify Law Day as a time dedicated to celebrate, teach, and understand the rule of law, as well as the rights, privileges, and responsibilities afforded to Americans. Law Day provides an opportunity to understand how law and the legal process protect our liberty, strive to achieve justice, and contribute to the freedoms that all Americans should share. An annual theme is chosen to spotlight a particular aspect of the law or the legal process and the impact on our daily lives. With the climate of our nation and the world over the last year, American Bar Association President Trish Refo selected the Law Day 2021 theme, Advancing the Rule of Law Now to resonate with people and still a sense of urgency and implore people to know their role in protecting our freedom, acknowledge that equality, justice, and freedom enshrined in the tenets of our Constitution, Bill of Rights, and the rule of law apply to all citizens. Well, that's uh, that, that's uh, impressive that the ABA has also kind of lent its um, its weight to this effort and sees the same urgency uh, around civics education and uh, promoting understanding and practice of the rule of law. Avril, I'm, I'm very eager to hear the perspective from the classroom. 
uh, polling data points to growing distrust among Americans generally in their institutions of government. And, and it suggests that it's especially the case among young people. Is that what you see, uh, as Louise suggested? And how do you think civics education can make a difference? Well, first of all, thank you for allowing me to be here. Um, but to answer your question outright, yes. So in the classes that I taught, I mainly taught 90% students of color. So my students already came in with a kind of a negative or a, uh, an uncleared view about government. They, they, they knew they had an understanding of the history. They understood from their environment, their community. And so they had a lot of conspiracy theories to bring forth. And so I always, one, had to create a space for students to share their opinions at the beginning of the year in my classroom to let them know that, yeah, I understand your voice and what you're trying to say, but also using civics as a way to to help teach important skills as research, discussion, collaboration, being able to see why they believe this way and then how we can help them to get better. And so um, I think providing my students a sense of voice and agency to be able to know that how they feel, what they believe is real, but also how to get them the correct information. That's uh, that's great. And uh, it reminds us that uh, civics addresses uh, these topics that um, people experience in very different ways. Um, people experience our government in very different ways and really reinforces how just learning facts isn't going to help um, navigate that difference. Um, we actually need the practice of navigating that difference. Um, Louise, let me turn back to you and ask you to tell us a little bit more about Educating for American Democracy and how it is going to instill these kinds of skills in young people. Uh, um, I first want to build on what Avril is saying. And, and I think that it is a mistake to think of our history and our civic as a static thing. Uh, you have to look at it from the experience of a variety and very diverse perspectives, right? So I think that kind of muscle needs to be built as well. So the roadmap uh, is obviously a K-12 guidance document. Uh, a lot of experts got together and tried to say, uh, you uh, educator, um, school, district, state, take a look at this if it's helpful to you uh, to try to focus on excellence. Uh, and how, how to do that. It has several principles, but one of them is the multiplicity and the diversity of perspectives that need to be taken account as we learn about our history and our institutions. Um, I think Avril is absolutely right that if you're an educator uh, with a particular demographic in front of you, it will not work to simply state that something is um, it's why is it this way? How do you relate to it? And how has it changed over time? And that's the kind of exploration uh, that we'd like to foster uh, in, uh, in Educating for American Democracy's roadmap. I, I will say this is in no way a curriculum. That's really important. It's not something that uh, you have to do. It's not a mandate in any way. It is simply there as guidance if you want to use it to improve your uh, instruction uh, by teaching from an inquiry perspective, also something Avril referred to. What we mean is uh, um, uh, to ask big, uh, broad questions to which there may be many different answers. Um, and we know we're polarized nations. There may be answers that are 
appropriate for certain communities and other answers. And clearly there are better answers and worse answers, but, uh, but what we want is for people to ask uh, these questions. So that's one. Um, and so that means that the set of facts that are currently in state standards, much of the state standards in history and civics are just a set of historical facts. Um, it is no longer what we need for this kind of generative constitutional democracy this today. Um, so that's what we tried uh, to lay out. It also blends history and civics together. That's very important. These are not separate topics. These are things that can only be understood together. Same is true. You know, all much of the civics field has stemmed out of the law-related education, right? This field is built on so many uh, great uh, law-related educators in the K-12 system. And I think that we need to bring all these pieces back together. Um, and that's what this roadmap uh, talks about. Um, and uh, we've adopted uh, uh, the term reflective patriotism as being very helpful uh, for a guide of how to go forward. So um, that's another one of our principles. What do we mean by reflective patriotism? We mean that uh, lots of um, uh, our country has stepped away from this idea, but in order to study something, in order to improve it, you must love it, right? So there's a part of it about love of the country, love of our rule of law, love about the constitutional democracy, and also the ability to criticize it and say, we have failed. In many instances, we can do better. There are uh, both uh, incredible achievements and also massive failures. And we need to hold both those things together and give hope to students that they can make um, a change, that they can see solutions, work with other people, people they disagree with to make the country a better place. So that's the spirit of optimism by which we've um, imbued this roadmap as a guide for going forward uh, to prioritize history and civic education. Great. That's, um, that's very helpful and certainly ambitious. Uh, Reggie, if I may turn, try to circle back to you on this question of trust and uh, perceptions in, in society uh, at, at large uh, about our institutions of, of government. I know the ABA has been involved in some uh, polling around this, and I'd be interested in what you see as the context in which this uh, effort goes forward. Well, I think uh, both Louise and April have made some really interesting points. Um, the American Bar Association just released results from the 2021 Civic Literacy Survey conducted in March and statistics regarding public trust in government, the justice system, and racial justice were staggering, but not surprising. While 84% of people correctly identified the rule of law to mean that no one is above the law, percentages were much smaller relative to the application of law. 47% of people ages 18 to 34 agreed or strongly agreed that the justice system follows the rule of law and that individuals are treated equally. However, in response to a separate question pertaining to racial bias in the justice system, 67% of people ages 18 to 34 agreed or strongly agreed that there is racial bias in justice, while just 34% of people age 65 and older did. 
So Avril, uh, the, the statistics from the ABA uh, survey are uh, sobering indeed, and really um, reinforce the point you made earlier about how uh, your students uh, experience and perceive institutions of, of government and how they're may be uh, ground for distrust and certainly a need for them to be effective advocates for themselves. You've been active in developing the Education for American Democracy framework. As an educator, how would you use this framework? How do you see it changing the way teachers teach civics in order to give students the kind of skills you see them needing? Thank you. So uh, I gotta have again, a long answer to this question because when I first heard of the Educating for American Framework, uh, American Democracy Framework, I was asked to teach U.S. history again after not teaching U.S. history for a while, and I only had taught civics. And so the, the push in social studies at that time was primary source documents, promoting questioning and inquiry within the class, a student-centered approach. And to me, I thought that the EAD was the beginnings of that framework. And so what I like about it is that the EAD had this exciting new framework that aligned to what research was pushing to. And then the state of Nevada had adopted, had adopted new state standards for civics history, as well as we had a strand of multicultural standards that has to be taught. That talks about the contributions of men and women from diverse communities. And so for me, thinking about the EAD and the, 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 theme, the, the, the theme around social change and, and transformation was one way that you could incorporate the multicultural standards that we have in Nevada into teaching it through the EAD. Uh, for me, what I also thought, liked about it, it was a push for more primary documents, right? So we're looking at letters and speeches and, and photographs about history and students are making meaning for themselves. It really removes the focus from the teacher being the source of knowledge to asking students to become critical thinkers, become critically conscious of what's going on, connect it to what's going on right now in current events and to have a larger kind of uh, depth of, of an issue. And so for example, the one they could think about is my unit on immigration. Um, and if I was to use the EAD, I would probably still go back and use the theme for social transformation and talking about the immigration history in the United States from, we'll say 1790 until today. Super, I uh, was a history major in college and I still remember uh, the, the uh, light bulb moment that I had in, in, and when I was first asked to look at primary documents and, and really think as a historian, as opposed to just uh, be this receptacle receiving historical facts. And it was really change-making for me uh, in, in falling in love with history. And it's exciting to think about uh, students today doing that with these new tools. Louise, the website for EAD is just so exciting. It's just chock full of resources and the kinds of primary materials that uh, Avril is mentioning. And, and they seem to be contributed by dozens and dozens of organizations across the country. Tell us a little bit about how that's all come together and maybe in particular, what role you see lawyers and bar associations playing in helping develop this new resource. 
Uh, yeah, they, uh, so it's educatingforamericandemocracy.org, um, and anybody can access the site. Uh, the roadmap itself is interactive. You can look for materials by grade level, by question, by theme. We have seven themes in the roadmap. We the people, civic participation, so on and so forth. Um, and you can search and get access to resources. Uh, we have um, uh, 200 plus now. Our goal is to get to 1,000 by December and then some more. Uh, we've had quite a number of contributors. We've tried to represent a diversity of, of viewpoints and approaches to answer these questions. So it should be a rich resource for anyone teaching in the classroom. With respect to the second part of your question, um, I guess I'll tell you a, um, a story. I, I was trained as a lawyer um, and um, took some initial uh, courses in tax law um, and uh, learned the mechanics and so on. And then took a second course and the professor walks in and he says, um, why do we have a mortgage interest deduction in this country? I'm like, well, this is not my job. I, I just read the code and I answer the question, right? So um, there, there was a, a challenge there that really left me reeling. I'm still thinking about it 30 years later uh, about um, what, what do you mean I'm supposed to think about this? Like, um, what is the purpose? Uh, how is this policy developed? And what were, uh, what was its impact? Um, that's a really different way to look at law, right? Um, and I learned a great deal in that um, session. And I think that um, what would be really wonderful would be for bar associations, lawyers, um, and others to think about ways to address these fundamental questions that we have. Um, and particularly, I would say, the design challenges. So throughout the roadmap, there are seven themes, as I said, but there are also five design challenges. And those design challenges pose fundamental tensions in our country. And one of them, um, which is why I told you this story, is um, asks, how can us how can we support instructors in helping students move between concrete, narrative, and chronological learning, and thematic and abstract or conceptual learning, right? So we need both of these, um, which I've illustrated. Uh, but in law, um, I think it would be helpful to have a little bit more uh, on that side uh, to really grasp the multiple implications of these laws and rules in our country and how they're applied and what the impact of those, you know, some of this has um, a deep link with um, racism and, and we need to um, sort of look at what that means and, and also take that up as a challenge for students to um, develop an agency uh, with respect to evolving those laws. So um, that would be my challenge to, to the professor. Great. Well, um, Reggie, you heard it, the challenge to the Bar Association um, to not just uh, read the law, but ask why um, and how and to what end. Um, tell us what uh, how, how you react to that and, and about the ABA's role as an Educating for American Democracy champion. What does, uh, what does that mean uh, in how you all are contributing to this initiative? And um, what role do you see for lawyers more generally? in supporting civic education in the United States. The ABA is indeed a champion of EAD in education of American democracy in general, the rights, privileges, and responsibilities that are at the core of American democracy. 
The work of several entities within the ABA supports the goals of educating for American democracy and our division for public education has a daily mission to promote public understanding and education of the rule of law and justice system through programming, publications, and resources. To name a few, the preview of United States Supreme Court cases is a plain language forward-looking summary of every case heard before the U.S. Supreme Court and geared for public consumption. Preview in the classroom is a toolkit that breaks down the cases for classroom discussion. Insights on Law and Society magazine is a go-to for teachers, the National Civics and Law Academy for high school students, focuses on key civics and law-related education topics. And we've already talked about Law Day, which we observed this week. Avril has been a great contributor to many of these efforts. And we thank you for your insights and perspective that you bring from the classroom set. The Civil Rights and Social Justice section of the ABA also does great work in the EAD arena. They will soon launch the Civil Rights Civics Project, which is a campaign rooted in outreach to students and teachers that answers questions via video and FAQs submitted by students. There are always legal services and pro bono efforts underway by the American Bar Association as well. The ABA also has a rule of law initiative known as ROLI, where we have programs in more than 50 countries to promote access to justice, human rights, and fundamental freedoms on a global scale. Lawyers who work on EAD should help to ensure that the next generation understands our democratic principles, has respect for our nation and each other, protects our republic's democratic values, and practices active citizenship. Great. That was um, a, a great list of resources. We'll um, be sure to post those uh, to the podcast uh, site so that people will be able to access them as well. Let me wrap up our discussion by circling back to the theme of Law Day, advancing the rule of law now, and ask you to reflect a moment on this concept of the rule of law and how EAD might help us impart better understanding about this quite complex idea. It's the mission of the World Justice Project to promote the rule of law around the world. We do that every day. And one of the things we do is we survey people around the world about how they are experiencing their governments and how they experience the rule of law. One of the troubling findings from this data collection is when we ask people all over the world what the rule of law means to them, the in the vast uh, majority of cases in every country in the world, people answer, the number one answer is, I don't know. And uh, that's sobering. It's a complicated topic uh, for educators to try to impart, and yet it's really important that we try to do so. So I'm uh, quite eager to hear from each of you, um, from your perspectives, about how uh, you would advise educators, citizens, lawyers, bar associations, uh, organizations like WJP to uh, contribute to better understanding of this rule of law topic. Um, maybe I can start with you, Louise. 
Yeah. Um, I think it's an, you're right. It's a very complicated concept, right? Um, and I think that um, sometimes uh, we've talked about in the ways in which it's um, can um, mask some underlying power dynamics and, and um, lack of diversity, but it also, right, the rule of law also has an enormous set of benefits to um, minority populations in any country, right? So we have to be clear that that's also a benefit. So what I would say is that we need to explore these topics. So if people don't know, that is exactly why we need to teach them. And um, so in, I just looked at in our roadmap and I um, found a question in, in uh, third to fifth grade, uh, why are the concepts of representation majority uh, vote minority rule and rule of law important to democracy? And, and you know, I think that's the kind of instruction you can start very young, right? Why does the family have a set of rules? Why does your classroom have a set of rules? Because it helps us live together. That's how we live together. And those are important to convey. Um, and, and then you build on that foundational knowledge to get to more and more complex um, applications of the rule of law and how about, but, but you tie it back uh, to the sense of fairness, um, it, uh, working in groups and, and, and build those concepts over time. So um, that is what I would um, suggest. Great. Yeah, we, we, we spent a lot of time defining the rule of law and ad advocating a definition, but I think what you're suggesting is maybe also important is, uh, is supporting the practice of rule of law and, and learning by, by doing uh, in, the, in the classroom. Uh, Avril, may I turn to you for uh, concluding thoughts about how you would teach the rule of law? Yeah, sure. Um, I actually have to agree exactly what Louise said, right? Starting at a young age, showing them, showing the students specific examples in their everyday life of how the rule of law shows up. Um, and then the other thing I would also understand is that it's a molding definition, that it's always kind of ever-changing and, and understanding that it's okay to be in that situation. Um, and so if I was thinking about it, for my own classroom, like I would teach the concept. I think iCivics has a great lesson actually on the rule of law that you could usually use in your classroom, right? To just get the students to talk about it. And then Reggie, uh, Reginald mentioned it about the preview in the classroom. They have great court cases that are um, curated for teachers that have snippets that has an explanation of both sides, the plaintiff and the defendant that teachers could use to showcase to teach the rule of law, how it's looked like in, in the United States Constitution. So um, there are multiple activities that you could do in order to do it. And that's just some of the ways that I would approach teaching the rule of law. Super. And, and Reggie, if I can turn to you for the last word, um, you've described so much that the ABA is doing, starting with ABA Day, um, but, but so much beyond that. Other uh, concluding thoughts about what lawyers and bar associations can and should do to uh, impart greater understanding of this rule of law idea? Thank you very much, Elizabeth. The American Bar Association and all of us through our various means can help Americans realize the civics education is essential to sustaining our constitutional democracy. The habits of the mind, as well as the habits of the heart, the dispositions that inform the democratic ethos are not inherited. As Alexis de Tocqueville, 19th century historian and author of Democracy in America, 
pointed out, each new generation is a new people that must acquire the knowledge, learn the skills, and develop the dispositions or traits of private and public character that undergird a constitutional democracy. Those dispositions must be fostered and nurtured by word and study and by the power of example. Democracy is not a machine that would go of itself, but must be conspicuously reproduced one generation after another. Wow. Okay. Well, we are inspired, I think, to take up this effort to uh, practice what Louise has described as reflective patriotism um, and to develop this disposition, this rule of law disposition that Reggie uh, urges us to embrace. Um, thank you, the three of you, so much for this um, stimulating discussion and even more so for the important work that you are doing to advance the rule of law and to strengthen uh, civics education in the United States. Uh, happy Law Day to all of you and to our listeners.